Well, welcome to all you sons and daughters of God who we are reminded of who we are today through that, that, that singing. Uh, we're back together again. It's Sunday morning again, and here we are. Once again, we are gathered around the Word of God. Uh, once again, to hear what Scripture has to say this morning and to consider how we should think, how we should act, and how we should live. And I encourage you to examine your lives by the Word of God this morning. And we are studying the book of James Last week when we read James, James was talking a lot about salvation, the theological concept of soteriology, which is not a word you need to know at all. The question we asked ourselves was simple, uh, how are we saved? That seems like a pretty important question, don't you think? And we trace James' argument through the second chapter and discover that according to the Word of God, we are saved by grace through faith, but that at the same time, faith always produces this works of loving service. Uh, we discovered two truths that have to be held together at the same time. We discovered that we're saved by grace through faith alone. It's 100% true that you're not saved by your works. But at the same time, it is 100% true that saving faith will always eventually lead to good works and that good works become the evidence of our saving faith. So that, that was yesterday, or last week, excuse me. This week... James is going to talk about another struggle, and it's a struggle that he sees within the first century church, so the, the church of his lifetime, when he's able to look around and see things. Uh, James is going to spend some time talking about uh, the things that we say and the, and the way that we communicate, and he uses this poetic language of, of talking about the tongue, and, and any of you who have been in Scripture much and have come to the third chapter of James can remember that teaching on our tongues, uh, the question I'll ask you as we begin this is, do you do a good job of controlling your tongue? As I studied uh, my notes and, and got ready to preach this sermon, I realized that I had, that I had preached on James chapter 3 two and a half years ago. So, so I'd already done this, and, and I went in to Naomi in the office, and I told her, I said, Naomi, I, like I preached this uh, you know, two and a half years ago. And she goes, oh, did you? And I go, you know what? I could just preach it again, and no one would know. Like, I could go home, it's Thursday, I could have the weekend off. Like, I just preached the same. And she goes, I think that's a good idea. And I went home and I told Cammie, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm just going to preach the same sermon I preached two and a half years ago. And, and she looked at me and she's like, you need to go back to work and write a new sermon. That's what she told me. She wouldn't let me rest. She goes, people are going to remember. And I was like, yeah, my sermons are really good. They'll remember those. And so I started to wonder, like, I was like, look, everyone's going to remember that. Maybe I should just skip this section of James. Like, like maybe, maybe James 3 has already been taught. Uh, all my good jokes have been used up that have to do with James 3. And people are probably tired about hearing about this idea of taming the tongue. But then I realized one very important reason why I might go ahead and bring this text before you once again this morning. Here's the reason. For the most part, all of us, all of you, are completely awful at controlling our tongues, right? I mean, if you, if you don't agree with me, say something out loud in the middle of worship. That'll prove you can control your tongue, right? Uh, reading the Word of God together two and a half years ago didn't seem to fix our tongues at all. Uh, so, so why should we skip over the text that we had? We might need to read it more often together. How are you when it comes to controlling your tongue? My guess is that you fall into to one or two categories. The first category is that you're a person who is self-aware enough to know that you say things quite often that you shouldn't say. 
And I think most of us fall into that category. We know that when we get worked up or we get emotional or we get stressed out or tired, we, we say things um, that are mean or we get drawn into gossip. Uh, the second category of person who's in this room and hears me preach on this text, uh, they are probably uh, narcissistic and delusional enough to believe that they've got their tongue under control. So the question I have for you is, which are you, a person who struggles with controlling their tongue or a raging narcissist? <laughs> have, you ever been, have you ever been to SeaWorld? Um, I, I've been a couple times in my life, and it, it's a pretty great place. I know some people don't like the way they treat animals. Um, they probably do better with that. But, but in my time that I've been to SeaWorld, uh, a few things to notice. One, uh, there's always that splash zone right? Like where, where you don't sit because if you sit in the front two rows, when Shamu hits, you're going to get soaking wet. And that's, that's the area I've always referred to as the first three pews right here. Like no one sits there because it's the splash zone. Like you're going to get, that's too close to the preacher. He could, he could do a belly flop and you could get wet. But the other thing I'll see, say about, about, about SeaWorld is, is you see these guys and these trainers and they will hop on the back of dolphins and hop on the back of killer whales and they can have killer whales and dolphins and all these animals jump through hoops like 10 feet in the air and do flips. It's really amazing to see what they can do with these, these, these killer whales. And, and, and another thing I've noticed is I've watched on TV, I've never seen these guys live in person, but, but these guys from Las Vegas, two guys named Siegfried and Roy, Y'all ever heard of those guys? Strange characters. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Google's your friend there. Um, Siegfried and Roy, they, they, they had a lot of plastic surgery, and they like to play with giant tigers. And they get on stage, and they make these giant cats jump through these rings of fire. And they get these terrifying predators to lay over on their back, and these, these crazy guys... Uh, walk over and rub these tigers on their bellies like they were a tame house cat. I've, I've seen people uh, on TV, not in person, although it'd be really awesome, who use these giant falcons and they have this, this special kind of glove and they use this giant falcon to hunt. And, and, and the falcon will, will land on their glove and they'll kind of tie their foot down for a little while. But when they set them loose, the falcons will fly way out ahead and circle above. And they'll see some kind of game and they'll swoop down with their, with their claws and they'll grab this game and they'll have the game in their hands and they'll be free to go wherever they want to go. But because of the way that they're tamed, they will return back to their handler and land back on his hand and they'll surrender their kill. For years, people have, have tamed almost every animal under the sun. It doesn't always turn out well for the trainer in the end. I think either Sigmund and Freud got their face bit off by a tiger. But, but you can't argue with this idea that mankind has tamed almost every creature under the sun. I've seen people kiss pet snakes on the lips. I, I've seen people wrestle with tame grizzly bears. I've seen people walking their pet wolves. People seem to be able to tame just about everything except for their tongues. That's what this scripture says. That's, that's what the word of God said. I just kind of repeated it in a little bit more drowned out way. But, but what scripture is going to say today is we can tame almost anything, but we struggle to tame our tongues. I want to read this, this verse out loud together. It's James 3. Please stand if you're able. We do this to show reverence for the word of God in our lives. And we also pray before we read scripture that the spirit would open our eyes to the word of God. So let's pray. Father, 
Um, we love you. We come to your word in humble obedience, wanting to be the people of the word, the people who, uh, who, who come to the word seeing your law as a way to live our lives in a manner that worships you. So convict us now. Edify us now. Make us look like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord found in James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a re relentless evil or restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. When James starts this section on taming the tongue, he begins by talking to a, just a couple of verses to those of us who would aspire to teach the Word of God. That's, that, you need to understand that when he talks about those becoming teachers, he's not talking about second grade English, which is a, a very valuable skill. He's really specifically talking about people who are teaching the gospel. So this for us could be Sunday school teachers, it could be Bible study leaders, small group facilitators, preachers, anyone who's going to stand before people and present the Word of God. And James says in verse 1, if we can put that up there, that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, there are a couple things we should understand about this text, and I think they make sense to you. First, if, if you were going to preach or teach from the Bible, uh, if we do that, we're representing ourselves as someone who knows the Word of God. Therefore, if we know the Word of God, we're accountable to follow the Word of God. We better, we better practice what we preach because we're going to be under scrutiny of everyone who hears our teaching. I mean, I experience this in my life all the time. 
I experience the, the fact that, that I know that, that when I go out, uh, that people know me as the preacher and they're watching the way I act a little bit different than they watch the way everybody else acts. Uh, one of the reasons you won't find one of those little round lakeside stickers on my car is because I tend to cut people off and I don't want people to know it's me. I'm, I'm thinking about putting one on there. I just almost can't bring myself to do it. I like the fact of being incognito and for once not being the preacher. We can play dumb like we don't know the word of God when, when we're preaching. Uh, when sin appears in our life, uh, if you're a preacher or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher and you know the word, when sin appears in your life, it doesn't happen accidentally. You know it was wrong before you got into it because you know the word of God. Uh, you, you're one of those ones that teaches scripture. And so if you do it, you're entering the sin willingly. There's a greater scrutiny in this life from those who know that you teach. And when we stand in the presence of our God, uh, the blood of Christ will atone for our sins just like it's going to atone for your sins. But we're going to have a, a greater account of our lives. We're going to have to give a greater account to, to Jesus. And, and, and those who teach, because they have a, a great knowledge of God's word, they're going to have to answer for what they did in a greater way. Uh, those of us who teach are, are going to have uh, more uh, more eyes on us. We're going to have greater judgment by God and greater judgment by man. But here's another thing uh, that's kind of interesting about James's warning here. Remember his warning is that not many of you should become teachers. And, and think about who James is writing to. He's writing to these people who are coming out of the Jewish church. They've been, they've been Jews for a long time and they have this great history with the Jewish synagogue. And these Jews are now trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. And they're kind of changing their belief structure over based on the teachings of Jesus. And, and Jesus was very much a, a Jew, so let's not forget that. Um, and, and part of Jewish synagogue life carries over to being a follower of Jesus. In the synagogue, do you know what the, the teachers of God's word were called? They were called rabbis, right? We understand this. And the word rabbi means, uh, it means my great one. What a title, right? That the, 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 the guy at church who would preach before you would say, hey, listen, guys, she wants you to know what to call me in case you don't. I've, I've gone out with friends and they've, got, they've said, hey, listen, I'm new to your church. What do I call you? Do I call you reverend or pastor or, or what, or preacher? And I, what if I said to them, why don't you just call me my great one, right? How, how would that go? That would be kind of awkward, right? But, but that's kind of the relationship that, that people have with a rabbi. Rabbis were, were highly honored and revered. Uh, in, in Jewish culture, one's duty to help the rabbi exceeded their duty to help their own parents. For instance, and, and here's a scenario that probably didn't happen very often, but it was written somewhere in, in, in the law of, uh, of the synagogue is, is, is something like this. It said, should your parents... And, and, a ra and your rabbi be kidnapped by an enemy. Duty demanded that you first ransom your rabbi before you could negotiate the release of your own parents. And in the first service, Jim said, amen, let it be so. He would have said it this time, but he was asleep. Uh, now, I'm not exactly sure where all these convictions about rabbis came from, right? Like, I don't know where they were developed, but if I was a betting man, I'd have to guess that the rabbis themselves might have had something to do with developing this culture, right? Like, like they'd be like, listen, let me tell you how you should treat me. The problem for James was that in the development of the Christian church, um, some of this expectations for how you treat rabbis was carrying over to people who were now proclaiming the gospel, Right? 
So, so you've got people, and, and, and they're sent to all corners of the nations to make disciples. And, and whoever might be, be the main teacher in this church, all of a sudden there's these expectations that used to be for the rabbi, my great one, placed on Christian teachers. And all of a sudden in the early church, you had people who were, they were coming out of the woodwork, eager to be teachers of the gospel so that they could get the kind of respect that a Jewish rabbi had. They weren't equipped to teach. They, they didn't have the, the, the skill to do so. And they weren't motivated by the glory of Christ. Their only true motivation in their heart was this kind of sinful ambition. And it's that kind of sinful ambition that can still be found in the church today. The person who is, who is motivated to lead in the church only for the purpose of feeling important. Or they take an office and it's important to them to be seen as intelligent or superior to others. Have you ever seen this before? People becoming teachers or leaders for the purpose of elevating their egos? I mean, it, it happens. Uh, the truth is that Jesus had taught his disciples that, that being a, a leader was about being a servant to all, that, that Christian leadership was about washing people's feet and picking up your own cross and, and following Jesus unto death not securing for yourself respect. And all preachers, ultimately, they all have to, to wrestle with that. Um, some preachers do better than others. Uh, you know, I always wrestle with the church that I go to and the front row of the church nearest the door, uh, the parking lot, there's a, there's a private parking space and it says, preacher parking only, right? Like, he, like he's rewarding himself, like, like I'm special, I should park up front. I always think that maybe the preacher should park in the back and let the handicapped people park up front. But, but if you see that, it's kind of a strange thing to feel. All preachers have to wrestle with it. Some do it better than others. Humility is hard to fake. Some days I do good. Other days, not so much. But church, I, I want to tell you to be weary of the person who shows too much ambition to teach or to rule who shows too much desire for public attention, who craves too much influence and authority. Instead, find people who love to serve and let those people lead. And after James talks a little bit about just the leadership and, and about teachers, he goes on, he's going to talk to the rest of us. He's going to talk to everybody else about their tongues and about the words that they say. But when we look at verse 2, um, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to, to bridle his whole body. James says, you know, we, we all sin. Uh, everybody knows this. However, if you happen to find someone who does not sin in what he says, that guy's perfect. In other words, if someone's learned to control their tongue, you can be sure that they've learned to control the rest of their body. You see, as we talked about earlier, the tongue is the hardest thing on earth to tame. You can find all kinds of, of people who have otherwise tamed the sin in their life, but they haven't come close to taming their tongue. And so they still continue to gossip. Uh, they may not go out and drink on the weekends or sleep around or do any of these things, but they're still gossiping, they're still lying, they're still slandering, they're still insulting people. Your tongue is the last thing that you will learn to tame as a follower of Jesus. Do you understand that? Like, like, like it's going to be the last thing you fully get a hold of. Our text in James gives us several illustrations of the power of the tongue. Uh, but here's the main idea of all those illustrations. We're going to talk about three. It's this idea that your tongue may be small, may be little, 
but it can steer your entire body and your soul into dark places if you don't control it. That's pretty much the summary of this entire section. Your tongue is a small part of your body, and if you don't control it, it will control you. And there's three comparisons that James makes here. He says the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like the, the rudder on a giant ship, and it's like a, a tiny little fire or a spark uh, when compared to a big forest. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. The bits are, are very small. Any of y'all have been around horses? This is a small piece of metal that goes in the horse's mouth, but it can control the entire horse's body. You can put a, a skinny little 90-pound teenage girl up there, and she can, she can point that horse in whatever direction she wants. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Okay, so the, once again, the rudder is very small, but it controls the, the direction of the entire ship. Look at verse 5. We're going to see our third here. So also the tongue is a small member, yet your tongue boasts of great things. How great a fire is set ablaze by such a, or excuse me, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A little fire or a little small, or a little spark is so small compared to like a great big forest. And, and I think we, we can see this in like the continent of, of Australia. It feels like the whole continent of Australia is on fire. And it just started from a few little flames, a few little sparks, and apparently some people that were bad actors who, who lit some of these fires. Whether it's a bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a ship, or a spark in a forest, it's all saying the same thing, that the tongue in your mouth is small, but it will control you and push you into places you don't need to be. And for some reason, I don't know why, that's the message today that the Holy Spirit has decided that you need to hear. I don't, I don't pick out my sermons every week. I pick them out way months ahead of time. And they kind of sit in a little spreadsheet until I come in Monday and I go, what am I preaching about today? And as we preach through James, that's what I did. I didn't pick this verse out for anybody. And for some reason, you got dressed to come hear the word of God this morning. And in, in hearing the word of God, for some reason, the Holy Spirit decided that this was what you needed to hear. That you needed to be asked the question, are you controlling your tongue? And James says in verse 6 that the tongue is a fire and that it stains your entire body and that it's setting on, uh, setting on fire the entire course of your life and that your tongue is literally set on fire itself by hell. I wonder why you needed to hear that today. You think, think, think about it. I mean, God specifically has a word for you today. Why do you think God wants you to think about what you're saying You've heard of the tail wagging the dog. Is it possible that your tongue is controlling you? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, uh, you feel like your tongue starts working faster than your brain? Um, maybe you lose your temper. And, and before you can, you can even fully decide what you want to say, your tongue just breaks out of the gates and you start spewing like this unfiltered emotion and passion. You're somewhere in between. And here's how I get. I'm, when I get really mad and I'm talking, I'm somewhere in between stuttering and screaming. 
You ever felt that way? I, I, had, I had someone call me recently. We had this conversation and they were, they were being mean and they were questioning my character and some things. And I got to tell you, I lost my temper. It's been about a couple of weeks ago. I lost my temper and I, I just started saying, you did this and you did that. And, you did, and I just, before I could just, it was just coming out. And it, my, my tongue was way in front of my brain. Normally a, a well-rested me has, has the grace to allow people to accidentally step on my nerves. You ever have people that step on your nerves? Uh, I, I'm, I'm in a position where I, I give people the benefit of the doubt a lot. People expect their pastor to, to, to forgive them and give them the benefit of the doubt. There's a lot of people who come to me with suggestions of what I can do better and they step on my nerves. You know, what I, you know how that would feel? And, and, and I hear people say things about me a lot. People have a lot of opinions about their pastors. I've got one of those jobs where, where I get up and talk for 30 minutes and then y'all go home and talk about me for 30 minutes. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, that happens a lot. And, uh, and, and I ignore that a lot and it comes with the jobs. But some days I'm just so raw and someone will say something and I can feel my face get hot and I'll start to talk and I don't really know what I'm gonna say when I start talking. And my tongue is way out in front of my mind and, and my tongue has zero poker face. It's just all the way out there exposing the sin of my heart. And before I'm able to rein it in, I realize that I've just started a lot of fires. Can anyone else relate to this? Did anybody else do this? Is it just me? We know the problem. We have wicked hearts. We have unbridled tongues. And James says we've been set on fire by hell. So what's the solution? How do we control our tongues I used to think rest was the answer. Like, like if I could get more rest, if I'd be better rested, I, I wouldn't lash out and say things. But more and more, the word of God is, is convincing me that Christ is the answer to controlling my tongue. And, and that may seem, sound cliche. Here's what I really mean by that. When Christ is in my mind and when Christ is on my heart, I'm so much aware of the things I say. When Christ is, is on my mind, it's so much harder for me to get offended. When Christ is on my mind, it's harder for me to slander someone and it becomes really hard to lie. And, and I think King David knew this. You know, he's always talked about as a, a man after God's own heart. And he, he, he would write these beautiful Psalms. And in Psalm 19, he, he writes this Psalm of praise and he, he thanks God for creation. God, I want to thank you for all of creation. And he, he says, God, I want to thank you for, for your laws and for your commandments. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he gets to the end of Psalm 19 and he says this, Lord, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. David knows that, that he's got this tongue that's out of control and, and his prayers that, that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart would be acceptable before the Lord. I don't know about you, but too often the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are nowhere near acceptable in the sight of Christ. What about you? If, if Christ were to examine the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart, what would he find? And would it please him? Have you ever gone back and, uh, like, I know this is kind of the curse of youth ministers. The curse of youth ministers is this. We have to uh, you know, we get like 45 kids and we're going snow skiing and that snow ski trip is like 16 hours away and there's a, there's a DVD player on the bus and we have to have a movie that we're going to show to kids. 
right? And so we start asking ourselves, well, what kind of movies can we show to kids that are really good? And we think in our mind, like, like, listen, I remember Goonies. I'm pretty sure it's rated G, right? And so you pop in Goonies because it's in your mind, it's rated G and you're watching and halfway through Goonies, uh, like chunk says the F word, right? And we all go, oh no, I, I, forgot, I never knew that was in there, right? And you, you like, you don't realize, but then like you're watching around little ears and all of a sudden you, you hear these words that you didn't hear before. You become sensitive in ways that you weren't before. Well, what if instead of little ears, we were aware that Christ would hear and know the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart? I want to share with you one last verse here. It comes from the 12th chapter of Luke and, and Jesus speaking to his disciples. And as crowds gathering around, the crowds listening, and Jesus says, uh, he says this to his disciples, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Does that terrify you? The words that you have spoken in the private rooms, the whispers of your heart will be shouted from the rooftops. Is that a scary thought for you? I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's a little bit scary for me. That Jesus would know the things you've said in your silent whispers in your quiet rooms. What you and I need today is, is repentance. We need confession for our sins. We need to pray that prayer of David that, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Um, pretty soon, friends, we're going to share together in the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that we always need to do before we share this meal together is make sure that we have repentant hearts, make sure that we have come to the table having confessed our sins, and if we have conflict with one another, uh, to make sure that we are rectifying that conflict, that we are seeking repentance, that we are offering apologies and being good faith Christians who love each other well. And so uh, before we come to the table, I want to invite you now to specifically examine the words of your lips and the meditations of your heart. Would Christ be honored by them? And if not, do you have much to repent today before we come to the table? Uh, let, let's do this. Let me start us with a prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll move to the table. Let's pray together. Father, um, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace we know we have. We know that the, the blood of Christ uh, will cover the words that we use. But we also know that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We know uh, that you've called us not to live like the world. And we know that there's a lot of shame and failure in the words that we use and the way that we uh, talk about people, the way that we gossip, the way that we slander. Father, and the way that we curse, none of these things bring honor to Christ. Many of these things embarrass the church. Father, forgive us. And hear now the silent confessions of our heart.